On this week's edition of New York Now, what's next after last weekend's horrific mass shooting in Buffalo? A look at the state's gun laws and the latest from the state capitol. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. There is no easy way to describe last weekend's horrific mass shooting in the city of Buffalo. Ten people were killed at a local grocery store by an 18-year-old motivated by white supremacy and racist conspiracy theories. And in the days since, there's been a scramble here on how the state and the country should respond, if at all. From Buffalo to Albany to New York City, electeds and top officials spent the week trying to figure that out. Take a look. Calls for change after last weekend's mass shooting in Buffalo, which took the lives of 10 people at a local grocery store. Governor Kathy Hochul out first with a call for social media companies. She wants those sites to create new ways to find when someone posts a plan to harm someone and send those threats to law enforcement. The shooter had posted his plan online just before he carried out the attack. And that is our call to action. And I'm calling out the social media platforms where this hate can be spewed. And people are learning how to create guns and violence and weapons. And what this dissemination, this virus called white supremacy. On Monday, U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer took to the Senate floor in Washington with his own calls for accountability. He called out extremists and far-right media outlets for helping spread a racist conspiracy theory that motivated the shooter. That theory falsely claims that non-white immigrants are being brought into the U.S. by Democrats for political gain. It is dangerous and a deeply anti-American worldview. It is poisoning minds, people's minds, who spend hours wandering the darkest wastelands of the internet. Let our rejoicing rise. That's a message that echoed back in Albany at the state capitol. Lawmakers rallied on Monday in support of the victims' families and against white supremacy. Senator Tim Kennedy represents the neighborhood where the shooting happened. And there are 10 souls that won't see today or tomorrow because of it that were lost, because of the evil of white supremacy, because of the hate that's been legitimized on the internet and in social media, on the news. Other lawmakers expressed frustration over federal gun laws, calling for stricter requirements for ownership. State officials said that while the shooter bought the gun legally in New York, he modified it and used an illegal magazine from out of state. State Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie said he'd support change at the national level in response to the attack. This country's insane obsession with guns and assault weapons needs to be talked about. You want to have a gun to protect your house or your property or your family, fine. What the hell do we need military weapons in the hands of civilians? 
New York's gun laws are among the strongest in the country, so it's unclear what lawmakers might do here after the shooting. But Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins said that's something they'll consider in the coming weeks. So I'm sure uh, in these waning weeks we will come together. If there's things that we've missed, we need to be able to, to tighten those loopholes. Then, on Tuesday, a visit from President Joe Biden, who labeled the attack as domestic terrorism, fueled by white supremacy. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. Terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Violence inflicted in the service of hate and the vicious thirst for power. Biden has been a supporter of stricter gun laws in the past and doubled down on that position, saying Congress should place limits on military-style weapons. And like Schumer, he blamed the shooting on extremist ideas spread online and over the air in a divided political climate. The venom of the haters and their weapons of war the violence and the words and deeds the, 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 that stalk our streets, our stores, our schools. This venom, this violence cannot be the story of our time. And one day later, Governor Hochul out with new actions at the state level and support for a package of gun laws. New York will now have a new domestic terrorism unit, a threat assessment management program and a unit within the state police to track extremist threats and respond. Yeah, because everyone's saying, how was this happened? This information was out there. The footprint, the fingerprint was out there. We are going to ramp up these efforts intensely at our intelligence center. The state police will also now be required to report when someone shows signs of danger either to themselves or others under New York's red flag gun law. That law allows a judge to remove someone's guns and prevent them from buying more under those circumstances. And we'll provide law enforcement with the guidance they need, the criteria to follow, and we believe that together these steps are necessary to confront the stem of rising hatred, white supremacism in our state. And Hochul also threw her support behind a package of new gun legislation. Those bills would expand when the red flag gun law is used, require law enforcement to report recovered or seized guns within 24 hours, and require micro-stamping on ammunition. So there is legislation out there to do this already. The legislature has already talked about this, so I'm not saying I feel overly confident. I just feel that there's a, an interest uh, in the conversations we're having with the legislature. Now, the legislature is scheduled to leave Albany for the year in just two weeks, and that's usually not a lot of time to tackle big issues like this one. But lawmakers say they're confident that some sort of gun legislation will pass before they're done. For more on that, I spoke this week with State Senator Brian Kavanaugh, a Democrat from Manhattan, who actually founded the group American State Legislators for Gun Violence Prevention. Senator Kavanaugh, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for having me. Of course. So let's start with the state's red flag gun law. That's what it's commonly called, but as you and I both know, it's called extreme risk protection orders. There's something that can be filed with a court to basically take away someone's guns when they are determined to be harm to themselves or to others. Now, in this case, the state is considering expanding that to other instances. Can you go through how that law might be expanded in the wake of the awful shooting in Buffalo? Yeah, first of all, I think it's important that to recognize that we have to uh, do a review of what happened in this case. We know that this particular uh, individual had made some threatening uh, statements uh, at his school last year. We know the school took it seriously and involved law enforcement, and we know there was some sort of, according to media reports, some sort of mental health evaluation. We don't really know what evidence was available at that time. So the first thing is that people need to understand in New York that there is a tool available when people are indicating that they're dangerous, but not even necessarily committing a crime. This is a civil process. You can present evidence to a judge, and if they find it uh, convincing, they can remove the, any guns the person has and uh, prevent them from acquiring guns, uh, from buying or acquiring them legally. And that did not happen in this process, so we're still trying to sort out uh, why it didn't happen in that case. Uh, but law enforcement or schools or district attorneys or family members of somebody who might be a danger to themselves and others can initiate that process. And it is a fairly comprehensive law already. Uh, the governor today announced an executive order that will, in some cases, require state police uh, rather than uh, having rather than, you know, sort of having the discretion whether to seek uh, an extreme risk protection order to seek one uh, when somebody is uh, showing that kind of evidence. We do know that there's a very wide variability in New York as to uh, who has sought uh, orders in the first three years of the effectiveness of the law. There are some counties where there have been a great many and some counties where there have been relatively few. Now talk to me about who you think should be the mandatory reporters. Obviously we'll have the state police now, but should we extend that to local law enforcement like you were saying, or maybe other people in someone's lives? For example, maybe a guidance counselor at a school where somebody expresses uh, some concerning thoughts about harming themselves or others. Should they also be mandatory reporters, do you think? Yeah, again, I think we want to be careful not to, not to, um, it, it is a complicated thing if, uh, any person who might come in contact with an, a person experiences, uh, you know, has some suspicion that maybe the person causing harm to themselves or others. Uh, and, you know, man, like man, that would be a very wide range of people who would be mandated. Um, I think law enforcement, uh, you know, again, this is, this instance shows a school taking this seriously, right? They contacted police. If you are listening to this, uh, you know, this program and you think somebody might be a danger to themselves and others, uh, there are a number of things you could do. You go straight to a court yourself. But the typical thing is to call law enforcement because they have the resources and the tools available to intervene right away. So I think that's a good place to put this responsibility. Now, I do want to note that this is a deliberative process, as you said. This isn't just somebody files an extreme risk protection order and then, you know, in 20 minutes, the police are at someone's door. It is a deliberative process with a judge. What do you think that says about how we can move forward with this without making people uh, fearful of losing their right in the Second Amendment, without making people feel like the government is, quote, going to take away their guns, because as you and I both know, the more we talk about this, the more that kind of rhetoric is going to come out. It is, so this is, the, the key thing is this is an evidence-based process. You can, in some case, get an order very quickly, but it is temporary. 
So if you have evidence that somebody's likely to harm themselves or others, uh, you can go to a court or the police can go to a court without um, necessarily bringing the person in, like notifying them that this process is going to go on and get a temporary order. Uh, and that can be issued almost immediately. And then the court, the police are notified and then they can take whatever steps are necessary to make sure the person is, is not armed. But very quickly thereafter, the person has due process. They have a right to a very prompt hearing to contest that and to present evidence of their own. If that evidence is uh, after, at that stage, the judge is still persuaded that this person, uh, that the evidence is there and the person is a danger, then they can issue order for up to a year. The process is an entirely civil process. There's no criminal implications of this. If the order expires and is not renewed, it is sealed. This is intended to be a law that somebody might take advantage of who actually cares about somebody and their well-being. And it is this is obviously applicable in places where, in instances where uh, mass shootings and other horrific actions are the concern, but it's also uh, applicable where suicide is the concern. So we're not trying to stigmatize people. We're not trying to deny people their constitutional rights. We are trying to make sure that when there is evidence that somebody is likely to harm themselves or others, that they don't have access to guns to do that. Now let's talk about a few other proposals that are being floated. Governor Kathy Hochul this week through her support behind a package of, of bills on gun control in New York, or gun restrictions, I should say. So I want to start with the first one that jumped out at me. She is supporting micro-stamping, which is uh, exactly what it sounds like, basically, putting an ID on ammunition to link it to a gun. Now this idea has been in the legislature for a number of years without enough support to pass. So can you talk about what that is and how do you get it across the finish line before you leave for the year in early June? Yeah, it's, it, it's been um, micro stamping again. It, it stamps a unique identifying, usually an alphanumeric number, a, a code on a shell casing. So it is you know, we've all heard about ballistics and, you know, probably people out there watch CSI and they look at like matching the uh, the bullet that might have been lodged uh, somewhere to a gun. And that is a technology that's important, but it is very inexact. Um, very often police find shell casings at the scene of a crime. If the shell casing has a number uh, that is a unique identifier uh, printed on it, they should be able to track that shell casing back to the initial purchase of that gun. Now, of course, the gun may have changed hands since then. It may have been sold into the illegal market. But having that kind of access is a basic way to solve serious crimes. It is cheap, it is effective, and it is time to implement it in New York. And again, we've had uh, pushes to do this in the past. And uh, you know, I think, I think this is the time to get it done, and I think we will. You know, I hate to talk about politics as part of this, but in the past, there just hasn't been the political will for some people to sign on to these gun-related measures because they may be in swing districts where some voters may not like them so much. How do you bring that political will to Albany to get these things done before you leave? We have, in New York, over the course of many years now, proved an ability to pass a really significant uh, gun violence prevention legislation. Um, it is partisan, unfortunately. Um, I have worked with Republicans on this to the extent they are willing and able, both in New York and nationally. Uh, but I think I think we've I think we've demonstrated the will in New York, and I think we'll continue to do so. And I think the governor stepping in uh, with her leadership on this is a really important step. So I think I think we're going to move forward now with a, a series of uh, important life-saving legislation. All right, State Senator Brian Kavanaugh, founder and chair of American State Legislators for Gun Violence Prevention. Thank you so much for joining us this week. 
Thank you so much for having me and for focusing on this. And lawmakers are back Monday for the final two weeks of this year's legislative session. So we'll see what happens with the state's gun laws before they leave Albany for the year. But there's also a few items on the table important to New York City. Mayor Eric Adams was in Albany this week to push his agenda for the final days of session. He wants the legislature to extend a law that gives the mayor of New York control over city schools. That's been the case for two decades now, but it's about to expire. So the legislature needs to either extend it or let it end. Adams also wants more speed cameras in the city and tax breaks related to affordable housing. Here's what he said after he met with lawmakers. The bulk of uh, our conversation was around mayoral accountability. That was the bulk of our conversation. And we talked about uh, NYCHA and some other topics. And we had some sidebars around public safety. And we're just going to continue to push forward. Everyone knows that's, something that's very important to me. Uh, but there are many other issues that we are facing in, in, the, in the city at this time. Now, Adams doesn't have the best relationship with the legislature. He hasn't made a lot of inroads since he was elected. And those relationships are really important to getting things done in Albany. That doesn't mean he won't get what he wants, but it does make things a little harder. More on that in the next few weeks. And speaking of the next few weeks, access to abortion remains a top issue at the state capitol in the final days of this year's legislative session. Lawmakers unveiled a package of new bills this week aimed at preserving and expanding access to abortion in New York. That's after a draft Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade was leaked to the media this month. New York's current laws would still allow abortion here, but lawmakers want to direct more funding to providers and give them new legal protections from out-of-state lawsuits. Senator Alessandra Biaggi is a supporter of those ideas. It just feels devastating, frankly. And I think we have to all do better collectively at anticipating what the threats are to our rights. Because if your enemy is at the door and you are thinking about what to do, it's too late. We'll keep an eye on those bills over the next few weeks, but let's bring in this week's panel now. Josh Solomon is from the Times Union. Zach Williams is from the New York Post. Thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. Of course. So let's circle back on guns now. Josh, I want to start with you. So we have two weeks of the legislative session left. Lawmakers are considering what they're going to do in terms of guns. We saw some actions from uh, Governor Hochul earlier this week that we've already uh, talked about on the show, so we can skip that. But in terms of the legislature, what's on the table in the next few weeks? We, we've talked about uh, a few minutes ago the red flag law with uh, Brian Kavanaugh. Don't really know the specifics of that, but what are they looking at? Well, they're, first off, on red flag law, they are thinking about widening it potentially to whomever they want to be an automatic reporter. And so that could be teachers, behavioral uh, experts, and law enforcement or just law enforcement. But as we know, for now, it's just law enforcement that the governor controls state police. Right. And, you know, other types of versions of background checks, figuring out what types of guns that they can ban that live in what the governor calls a gray area. Yeah. And and so they're going to try to see how can we put further band-aids on it, but you know, obviously you should always note that they look toward Congress and saying that's the hole and we're just putting band-aids on the situation. Right. What we did have here is the shooter bought the gun legally in New York, went to Pennsylvania to get the uh, higher capacity magazine that is legal in New York. So New York can't exactly legislate that. Um, is is there anything that they can do? Anything that they're talking about? in terms of that. I know that the governor's talking about this any other weapon thing where there are some guns that look military style 
that are apparently legal in New York, but I don't really know how they get around that in terms of legislation. And I, it's okay if you guys don't either. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I think the big issue is New York already has some of the strictest gun laws in the whole country, but the governor wants to project that she's doing something. It's just, you know, the scale of this tragedy, it's hard to grapple with. And I think they're really trying to find a lot of different ways to respond. You know, and while she's tried to avoid the appearance of politi politicizing this, you know, massacre, I think it is worth mentioning that it, you know, this whole situation kind of allows her to kind of flip the script on the whole anti-crime messaging that we've seen from her political opponents in recent months. You know, she's running in the Democratic primary. She's gotten hit on bail and bail like she hasn't done enough. And, you know, this new anti-gun package that she unveiled, as well as what's going on, you know, in Buffalo, um, really gives her a chance to come out strong as the anti-crime governor in ways that would have just been kind of inconceivable just a, a week ago. You know, speaking of politics, Zach, I, I want to ask you, because you follow, you, you really have your finger on the pulse of New York State politics. Uh, is there any political obstacle to passing gun laws before the end of session? It seems right now that lawmakers are, are very interested in doing something, but as you and I both know, you have issues like, for example, micro-stamping of bullets, uh, which matches a serial number to a firearm. Um, that has, is an idea that's been around since the SAFE Act, since before the SAFE Act in 2012. Is there the political will to get that done? I, we've seen before that there is political will, particularly after these um, tragedies. You know, that's what happened in New York nearly a decade ago in the wake of the Newtown shooting in Connecticut. And that's how the SAFE Act got passed and how why New York has as strict of gun laws as it does. Something that really struck me on the red flag issue specifically was a little chat I had with Rob Astorino, the former Western uh, Westchester executive who's now running for the GOP nomination for governor. He's got a pretty hard line on Second Amendment rights. But he expressed um, support, actually, for you know increasing mandatory reporting in some circumstances. Now, of course, being a Republican, he wants to balance that with Second Amendment rights. Mm. But I think it was notable that you know at this time of big polarization, that we at least see a little bit of consensus on some things that can be done to prevent future tragedies. It's an interesting position for Republicans to be in, I think, because you have the red flag gun law. But in this case, it, moving forward, state police would be mandatory reporters and possibly local law enforcement if the legislature decides to do that. So then as a Republican, you have to then balance in, uh, between uh, are we going to put our trust in law enforcement to do this or am I against this measure that essentially removes someone's guns when they are a harm to themselves or others? Well, it's not a good week for Representative Lee Zeldin, the putative front runner for the Republican nomination. Yeah. A video came out just weeks before this tragedy. I'm sure he might have said things differently had he known what would happen, but you know, he basically called for the repeal of the red flag law, the repeal of the SAFE Act, and for New York to even enact a stand your ground statute. Now, we might recall that that was at the heart of the Trayvon Martin tragedy yeah. down in Florida years ago. Yeah, yeah. I Not haven't thought look. about that in a while. Oh, my goodness. So let's move on from that uh, to redistricting. So this is all going to change in a matter of hours. So grain of salt to our audience. <laughs> Unfortunately, we tape on Friday mornings. The new maps are going to come out sometime today. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to change all that much. So the context is still there. Josh, I want to turn to you on this. So redistricting, as, as our audience knows, is drawing new lines for Congress, State Senate, and Assembly. Today, we're supposed to get some new lines for State Senate and Congress, and uh, we got preliminary lines earlier this week, and there's just a mess of incumbents being put in the same district. What, how do you think this affects the political cycle this year? 
it creates chaos. That's, that's the <laughs> simplest way to put it. Uh, I think uh, all the political reporters on Monday and all the politicians on Monday were, you know, feeling like the world was spinning because lines that had been long established, lines, for example, in Manhattan with uh, Congressman Nadler and uh, Maloney, yeah. they, they have long been separated by Central Park. And then there was just a, a, a Jewish district on the Upper West Side and Upper East Side, which Jewish communities have fought since then. And there's been thousands of letters to the state court saying, you need, you screwed up, you need to change this, we need to move forward. And ultimately, we're going to see a lot of incumbents, a lot of Democrats fighting against each other, figuring out what to do, unless later today, we have more chaos that says, actually, we messed up and we're going to change the path. But ultimately, the reason this was done was because the the map drawer, the special expert, the special master said, we're going to favor competitive districts that are compact instead of looking at communities of interest, instead of looking at pre-existing political lines. We're just going to make every district as competitive as possible. It, it, go ahead, Zach. Uh, it seems like the special master really prioritized compactness of the districts over the so-called communities of interest that you know are protected under the Voting Rights Act passed in the 60s. Um, something I just would like to add is, you know, with this, with new opportunities come more politicians looking for opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of legislators eyeing, con you know, congressional runs now. And that could get really interesting because, you know, Democrats have been pretty successful at, at kind of finding candidates that can win in suburban areas that have historically been Republican. But now some of those same people might run for Congress, and that might create some opportunities for the Republicans to claw back their position in the state Senate, where right now they're a super minority. And we also have this interesting <laughs> former New York City controller Scott Stringer is apparently mm. maybe running for state Senate. So everybody's playing this game of like fun musical chairs in terms of <laughs> Congress and state Senate. Um, Yuli New, an assembly member, has an announcement next week that may be a run for Congress. We don't know. It, it's just, it's really fun every 10 years when we see everybody just shift from one place to another. <laughs> don't forget about former mayor. Uh, de Blasio, who... We don't talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> we are at a time, though, unfortunately, but we will talk about Mayor de Blasio if he announces a run for Congress. Really fun. Josh Solomon from the Times Union, Zach Williams from the New York Post. Thank you both so much. And don't forget to head to our website every day for the latest news from the state capitol. As always, that's at nynow.org. Until then, thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.